0: When the replay official did not stop I, the game i'm not going
1: to comment on that i'll get fined for the rest of my life if i get commented on that
0: we had a great belief in our locker room we didn't have to do anything special just be us i was so proud of this team we had so much fun it ought to be illegal any idiot can say whatever they want and they usually do and they're negative negative. and all i see to me i've gotten to a point now when i see things like that i feel sorry that those people feel that way, that their lives don't have the purpose, the passion, and the excitement and the enjoyment that some of us do. Our purpose
1: is to win. Make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East.
0: Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like it was like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. And as my, as the head football coach at South Carolina, my job is to do what I feel is best for the University of South Carolina football program today and going forward in the future. And that's what I did. We wish him well and uh, have nothing but a... Uh, um uh we, we wish him well
1: welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast I'm your host Michael Bratton go by SEC Mike on Twitter and I'm flying solo for this show but don't worry got a great guest lined up so it's not gonna be just me spieling here I got David Hale covers college football for ESPN and Specifically covers the ACC. And hey, before you get too worried, no, we're not going to spiel on ACC football on here. We are talking several guys that have transferred from ACC schools to SEC schools. And I figured no one better than David Hale reach out to to give us the uh, insight because, hey, when we don't know something we like, you know, we're not a podcast that likes to pretend like we know it. And we certainly are no experts on the ACC. So, I think you guys are really going to appreciate the wealth of knowledge that David brought to the show, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But hey, before we do, we have, we've got some new over under lines to discuss. And now these are courtesy of uh, South Point Casino there in Las Vegas. They annually put out over under win totals, and they've gone a step further this offseason. They have produced win totals. For every SEC team, only in conference play. So we're taking out the non-conference games, we're taking out the bowl games, and even the SEC championship game does not count. Just the eight regular season games for every SEC team. So I'm going to cover these, and then I'll kind of give you my thoughts on which ones that I really like the value for before we get to our interview here with David Hale. Now, running down the odds here, we'll just start at the top. And no surprise, Alabama, SEC win total listed at 7.5. Roll Tide! So, again, we're just talking SEC games here. There's only eight conference games for each team. So, Alabama would have to go undefeated in the SEC to go over. Uh, now, the odds are the same for Alabama. It doesn't matter if you go Over or under, seven and a half. The odds are the same. Georgia, next on the list, seven. (laughs) Over or under at seven, with a slight favorite being the under. So South Book is uh, suggesting that Georgia may lose a game here in the regular season. At least those are what the odds suggest. Florida's next on the list, five and a half. With the favorite being the over. Over 5.5 for Florida. Even odds to go under 5.5 for the Florida Gators. Minus 120 to go over. Same number for Texas A&M. 5.5. Equal odds to go over 5.5. Equal odds to go under 5.5. SEC wins for the Aggies. Now here we got LSU. 4.5. Go the favorite is to go over. So South Point says... More than likely, over four and a half for LSU. Under is plus 120. You'd win big if you think LSU's going to tank. I'm not, certainly not suggesting that's going to happen, but you'd win big if you bet LSU to win four or less in the SEC. Right here, also at four and a half, Kentucky. Equal odds over under. So Vegas, not sure where to put the Wildcats. You think they're going to win five SEC games? That'd be tough, but there's a chance they do it. Equal odds over or under. That t- you know that gives you an indication of what they think of the Wildcats. Could go either way there. Ole Miss next on the list four.
0: Die, Ole Miss.
1: Over or under for the Rebels four SEC wins, and the favorite is to go over, with under being even odds. So that's interesting, Ole Miss. Now, I'm I'm sure a lot of this has to do with uh, playing in the West, but Kentucky, four and a half, Ole Miss, four. That's interesting. Now, here we go, Auburn, three and a half. A war damn eagle. The favorite here is to go over. So, if you think Auburn may not win four SEC games, the unders, that's maybe one of your best bets right there. Not saying Auburn can't do it. The hell, they've gotten so many transfers here in the last couple weeks. May have just changed the outlook there for the Tigers under Brian Harson. Missouri. M I Z, and a half. Same as Auburn. Three and a half SEC wins. And the odds are the same if you go over or under. So that's one that I'm going to be circling back to here in a minute. There's one I like there. Tennessee, three. Right. Tennessee's number three on the over-under. Same odds either way. That's probably a perfect number there. You know, it's hard to imagine Tennessee going 500 in SEC play in the first year of Josh Heupel. Arkansas, two and a half. Woo! Woo pig! I'm jumping on this one. This was probably my favorite one on the board. Over for Arkansas, two and a half SEC wins. Hell, they got three last year. They're going to be better this year. You might want to lock that up while you can over there at the South Book Casino. Mississippi State also at two and a half. (laughs) With the favorite being under. That's interesting. The odds to go over 2.5 are even for Mississippi State. Minus 120 to go under. That's one you may have to consider there. Mississippi State, 2.5. And And then last but not least, South Carolina and Vanderbilt. Take it down. Both at 1.5. South Carolina, their odds are equal no matter if you go over or under. Whereas Vanderbilt... Heavy, heavy favorite to go under that one and a half. And that makes sense because, you know, I think there's a real chance Vanderbilt wins an SEC game, but two, I don't know, it may be a stretch till we see what this coaching staff can do. Hell, that may be one of the best bets on the board too because all you got to do is win two SEC games. You're playing South Carolina. You're playing Tennessee. You know, there's some value there as well. Uh, But my favorites for the board, let's go all the way back to the top real quick. Alabama and the under which is actually the favorite. Alabama in the under. Like I said, the the odds are the same over or under here for Alabama. Not saying that Alabama's going to lose a game, but, man, going perfect two years in a row in the SEC, that's tough, especially when you're going to Florida. you got to host LSU. You're going to Texas A&M. Ole Miss gave you all you wanted last season. Got to play Tennessee. That was for you, Cousin Shane. (laughs) But seriously, Alabama, I lean towards them losing one game this year. I don't think that's uh, pretty – I don't think that's too bold. I mean, hell, they could still lose a a game in the conference and still win the SEC. So that's one of the ones that I'm liking. Alabama in the under seven-and-a-half conference wins. Another one that I like here, Florida in the under. Again, it's at five-and-a-half. The odds are even to go under 5.5, and and you may be saying, well, hell, how can you, you know, I've been kind of hyping up Florida here lately. I'm not saying they're not going to get to that 6 SEC win, but we all know playing Alabama right out the gate, that'll be tough. If you drop that one, hell, everybody's blowing smoke up Georgia's ass. I'm Hell, I've been doing it for months. So you know what I think of the Georgia Bulldogs? I think Georgia's going to beat Florida as well. So if Alabama and Georgia beat Florida, that means they'd have to go undefeated the rest of the SEC to hit this over, and certainly from what we've seen from Dan Mullen and his program, that is a possibility. But I'm leaning towards the under on that one. Uh, Texas A&M, remember their number five and a half. Same odds over or under. I like the over for Texas A&M. I think, you know, again, no guarantees here, but six and two in the SEC. Given at Texas A&M schedule, I think that's a real possibility. I mean, they're looking. That's almost a perfect line though. I mean, they're they're probably going to go six and two, five and three, one or the other. But I lean towards the over on Texas A&M, especially you know it all kind of hinges on LSU and Alabama. But getting Alabama at home, so I kind of like that one. Missouri, I said I'd get back to that. This is probably the other one I really like on the board. Same odds to go over or under for three-and-a-half conference wins. I'll go over from Missouri. I think that's manageable. I'm not saying they're going to have another five hundred record, but again, similar to Arkansas. Hell, they won four SEC games last year. you got to think Eli Drinkowitz's team is going to be a little bit better than they were last season. Uh, I like Missouri and the over- So again, my favorites here: Arkansas and the over two and a half, Missouri three and a half, over, Florida five and a half under, Alabama seven and a half under, and Texas A&M five and a half. I'll take the over on the Aggies. All right, two other things uh, real quick before we get to our interview here with uh, David Hale of ESPN. Little cruton update: Five-star Texas defensive lineman Bear Alexander. You know Shane and I are going to love this guy just based on his name alone. But uh, he was the highest ranked commit in Georgia's recruiting class. Went to Texas A&M over the weekend, decommitted from the Bulldogs. You got to feel good if you're a Texas A&M fan that uh, the Bear is loving him. Some Jimbo Fisher, Mike Elko, in that Texas A&M football program. But Bear wasn't the only one because uh, as I'm sitting here recording, Dion Bowie. Five-star commit to Georgia as decommitted. He was also with Bear Alexander at Texas A&M. Visited College Station with Bear Alexander over the weekend. So, hey, credit to Jimbo and company bringing in two five-star commits to the University of Georgia. And within a couple of days here, both those guys decommitted from the Bulldogs. You know, that's not to say that uh, Kirby Smart's program is not going to keep recruiting these guys. You know they are. They probably got them on the phone right now. But, uh, man, Jimbo and company making things interesting. And who knows? Maybe we've got a little budding re- recruiting rivalry here with uh, Jimbo and Kirby, two former Nick Saban assistants. Who knows? Maybe these are the two teams we'll see meeting in Atlanta. And this is just the start of a long rivalry between those two. All right, one last thing. Just wanted to make this note. Jump all down to Baton Rouge, where we talked about this earlier this week, but uh, we know by now, if you've been listening to the pod, LSU has landed Arkansas offensive line coach Brad Davis. I just wanted to make this note uh, to give you an indication of, you know, how serious the Tigers were on getting their guy. Brad Davis was set to make $550,000 for Arkansas. He's get bumped up to $830,000. So nearly $200,000 more to come home to Baton Rouge. And kind of the key thing here, even more than the money in my opinion, they gave him a three-year deal, which in the SEC, in my experience, the vast majority of these assistants get two-year deals. Now, that's not always the case, certainly, uh, particularly when a, a head coach takes over a new program. Sometimes they push for that third year on the deal for just the rest of the staff to have some continuity and, you know, let them know that, uh, you know, they're going to be given time to recruit and build the thing up. But that's interesting, especially when you got, there's not a ton of talk of Coach O being on the hot seat. And I'm certainly not saying he is, but we just had Jordi Collado on the show talking about how big this season is for Coach O. And here we are handing an offensive line coach, a three-year contract worth nearly a million per year, I think that shows you, you know, how much they like Brad Davis, what it took to get him from Arkansas, and also, you know, a subtle sign of just how committed they are to Coach O moving forward in Baton Rouge. So all around, I think you gotta love this news if you're LSU. Hey, but as promised, here we've got David Hale from ESPN. I Think you guys are really gonna appreciate this. Tried to jump around with as many teams as as possible and hit on some ACC transfers, now in the SEC. David did a great job providing insight on all these guys I asked him about. All right, we're pleased now to be joined by David Hale of ESPN. He covers the ACC for the Worldwide Leader in Sports, and you got to give him a follow on Twitter. He's got one of the best Twitter handles out there, A. David Hale Joint. David, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate you. It's my pleasure. Happy to do it. Well, one thing that uh, really caught my eye after this uh, Georgia, well, I guess he was a former Clemson corner, but going to Georgia, I hope I'm saying his name right here, Darion Kendrick. By all accounts, a really, really good player for the Tigers. But uh, as you noted here with uh, your research you did, that uh, Clemson, not necessarily, you know, better with him on the field. Can you kind of... Expound upon that and and what, you know, kind of let our Georgia listeners in on what they're getting in a guy like Kendrick?
0: Yeah, well, look, first of all, he is incredibly talented. I mean, this is a highly recruited guy. Came into Clemson as a wide receiver, actually, um, but just like superstar level athletic ability. Uh, Long, athletic, fast, really good, I think, natural skill set. At the time, Clemson had a pretty big glut at receiver and definitively needed some help on the back end of their defense. Uh, So in spring ball a couple of years ago, he made the switch over to corner and picked it up really quickly. I mean, he essentially ended up a starter uh, a few months after, after learning the position. So, I mean, the, the dude is a natural talent. There's no doubt about it. Now the question that, that I posed and I think a lot of Clemson fans still wonder is, is he capable of building on that natural talent or, or is he, strictly reliant on it Um, because what you got was a guy who I think held up pretty well in man coverage, particularly against lesser opponents, um, struggled in the playoff, uh, did not handle zone situations quite as well, and was pretty consistently in uh, defensive coordinator Brent Venables' doghouse. So he struggled to get on the field at times last year because Venables was upset with him. And, of course, there was an off-field incident uh, in the offseason that led to Clemson and him parting ways. So, I mean, the ceiling is massively high for Georgia on this one. Uh, it's definitively a good get. But the question is, are you getting a guy who is going to be a little more boom and bust and, and, and the booms are going to be really, really high, but the bust might come at some really bad times? Or are you getting a guy who has really just started to uh, show sort of the tip of the iceberg and is going to be a much better player? And, and look, I mean, I don't think there's a better defensive coordinator out there than Brent Venables. But if there's sort of a number two on that list of guys who know defense, Curry Smart's probably in, in the running, too. So, um, you know, he's not going to lack for coaching. Um, it's just a matter, I think, over the last couple of years, what we've seen at Clemson is how, how much is he willing to take that coaching.
1: All right, one guy I really wanted to ask you about, uh, former Virginia Tech quarterback Hendon Hooker, of course, now at Tennessee. And if I recall, when he announced his decision to, to come to Tennessee, you put out something out there like, you know, good player, but kind of inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, can you let our te- Tennessee listeners know, you know, your thoughts on uh, what you saw from Hendon Hooker at Virginia Tech? Well, look, he sort of
0: falls into the, the, the Darian Kendrick uh, model in being just incredibly frustrating at times because you could certainly see the, the raw ability. I think he came into the four-star recruit there. Um, you know, what he does well, he can run the ball well. Uh, he has a good arm. And, and can place the ball, but didn't always like to look downfield quite as much. And I don't know how much you want to blame all, all Brad Fornelson's offense at, at VT or whether it was the receivers he was playing with, though he's had some good ones. Um, there's been a lot of tumultuous moments in that program, so I don't know how much you put of all that on Hendon Hooker. But he really was good at utilizing his tight ends and the guys out of the backfield. So if you're playing that kind of offense, you know, which which it's hard to say exactly what Tennessee is going to look like in, in year one under Josh Heupel, but um, I, I thought he was probably a very good quarterback fit. If you've got Jeremy Pruitt running your program, I don't know how well he fits sort of that, um, you know, UCF, let's, let's spread it out and open it up and chuck it around kind of mindset that, that Josh Heupel is going to want to, to run, but, you know, I don't know how much any of the guys in Tennessee are going to, are going to fit that right away. So he might actually fit in better with the personnel that they have. Uh, again, I like hooker, but sort of, um, you know, I think that the, the Clemson game at the end of the year was a good example of one where they had some chances, Virginia tech did, and, and he just absolutely shot them in their foot. And, and I think um, there's probably a situation there where I think he sort of lost the locker room with some of his performances and it was probably best to move on. But there's some untapped potential there. Again, you wonder how much anybody really is going to be successful given the off season that Tennessee has had, the transfers that they've had out. But, you know, in some ways that sort of takes all the pressure off. And I think there's, there's upside there uh, for him if he can, you know, get on the field and, and kind of get a few – um, successful uh, drives and a few successful series under his belt he, he's shown that he can do it before I think it's just a matter of sort of building on what he's good at instead of asking him to do some of the things that maybe are not his strengths
1: now I don't know if you've got to watch much of this guy because I believe he was only one year at Clemson but uh, running back to Marcus Bowman now at Florida I think he was a five-star a lot of potential there what can you share about DeMarcus Marcus Bowman what the Gators are getting in him
0: Right. Well, I mean, obviously, you look at the, the recruiting talent, and he was really good there. Um, and, and I don't doubt that, uh, that that talent can carry over. And look, what Florida wants to do offensively, um, I think, will suit him really well. He's going to have, um, theoretically, we'll probably see a pretty mobile quarterback that he's playing with, which should open up some running lanes. I think um, he's the kind of home run hitter that that will fit well with sort of the explosive type of attack that, that Dan Mullen wants to prioritize at Florida. When you, you know, why do guys not succeed at at Clemson? Sometimes there's good reasons. Sometimes there's just bad fits. Um, You know, Clemson is very much like, this is how we do things. They're very much hell bent on, this is our culture and you need to fit. And if you don't fit and, and it doesn't make you a bad guy as much as, you know, I think Gabba would like to, uh, us fouls that they're all great guys there, and, and if they are not sitting, maybe there's a reason. I don't know that that's the case. It just might not jibe well. And certainly, I think when Bowman got there, he was probably not expecting that Travis Etienne was going to stay for his uh, senior year, which pretty much none of us did. Um, I, I think there's a lot of a lot of upside for that. Now, look, Florida's going to be a little bit of an offense in transition after losing Trask and uh, and Pitts and, and some really talented players there. But, look, we've seen enough from Dan Mullen's offenses over the years. I'm not too worried about it, and I think that's a perfect example of a guy who has just tremendous upside and was probably just not in the best spot for himself uh, when he got to Clemson. All
1: right, well, I guess Clemson's had a lot of defections here because one more Clemson guy, if you don't mind, a former starting linebacker, I believe, Mike Jones. Now he's at LSU. Yeah. And they're going to be counting on him to start, from what I understand. Do you think – what can you tell us about Mike Jones? Yeah, no,
0: he's one of my favorite guys uh, from this transfer class. I think that uh, LSU got an absolute steal on him. Um, why didn't it work at Clemson? Well, it, that one's a, pretty more, uh, a little bit more simple thing. This is a guy who wanted to kind of prove that he could do a few more things to translate to the NFL that was just not going to be possible within the system that Clemson wanted to run. Um, I don't know that there was a much better guy personality-wise than Mike Jones was. He was really well-liked within the locker room. Uh, if you remember last year, both the we want to play movement, the social justice movements, all of that stuff. Mike Jones was a critical part of that um, on the field. He's super athletic, can play sideline to sideline. He's one of those guys that the underlying metrics, you know, his his stat line might not have jumped off the page, but the underlying metrics tended to really showcase what a, um, a, a impactful player he could be. Now, you know, sort of the weird thing with him is he was stepping into a role that was held the year before by Isaiah Simmons, who went. You know the top ten in the draft, and was, in my opinion, uh, one of the most versatile and and unusual players in college football during his time. I mean, a guy who, kind of, came in as a safety, would play uh, outside rusher, and was as, as physical a linebacker as you were going to have. Asking anybody to step in and do what Isaiah Simmons did was next to impossible. And then you know, Clemson was sort of in this weird defensive year last year where they relied on Simmons a lot to sort of manage the defense the year before and the really idealist, a team that wants to have a really impactful front four. They didn't have that last year, and Mike Jones is sort of in an impossible situation. I think he is tremendous. Um, I will be pretty surprised if he is not a massive improvement for LSU on the defensive side of the ball this year, which, I mean, given how they played a lot of times on defense (laughs) last year, it'd be hard not to be a massive improvement, but I I really like him a lot.
1: Yeah, with Bo Pelini out of town, uh, there's got to be an improvement. All right, uh, last two guys are what it is. They're both from Georgia Tech, uh, South Carolina receiver, uh, Marion Brown. I I think he was a pretty touted guy, too. Can you tell us anything about uh, the Gamecock fans, what they're getting in Brown? You know, it's so hard to say because a lot of what you've got with Georgia Tech, uh, Georgia Tech on the offensive side of the ball, Um, is
0: almost like, I I don't even know where you, where you take it. You know, there's, there's so little that they've been able to do offensively in the transition away from the triple option through two years. I mean, you had the first year, they were just playing with makeshift parts. And last year you have Jeff Sims coming in as a true freshman. And, you know, I thought the passing game showed some improvement, but it was still a lot of, you know, one step forward and two steps back. And it's almost impossible to say like, this is, this is what a guy can be, given what you've seen, because what we've seen really I don't think is particularly telling now again, we're talking about a team in South Carolina that, that is a lot like tennessee It's It's hard to say exactly what to expect from them either because you're getting um, so you're getting a new offensive scheme, you're getting a lot of new play, a lot of new key players in key places, and uh, it, it's hard to say so I, I I like the talent there that's one where I would say we're probably looking more towards you know, maybe some long-term growth or longer-term growth than, than maybe instant impact there.
1: All right, and then the last guy, uh, Justice Dingle, also from Georgia Tech. Now he's at Kentucky. Kentucky's got two defensive linemen now playing in the NFL off last year's defensive line. So do you think Dingle can uh, make an impact there in Lexington? This is a move I like for him because, uh, as you noted, look, uh, Kentucky's done a really good job of developing those guys up
0: front. Um, I'm a huge Mark Stoops fan. I I worked with him and covered him a little bit when he was at Florida State, and he would just churn out uh, guys on on the defensive line that that were super talented. You know, look, here's the the red flag for me, and and I didn't get to watch a ton of Dingle snaps. I wasn't, you know, there for practice day in and day out. And again, as I said, Georgia Tech, a big work in progress. But their biggest flaw really for the last few years um, outside of sort of the offensive transition has been the pass rush and the defensive line performance. And, you know, when you can't really kind of consistently get on the field and make plays for a team that's desperate for somebody to do that on the D-line, you start asking questions about why. Now, I would tend to lean to maybe the system fit and the transition and all of that that's happened there is a very good reason. I think he's certainly moving in the direction of a really good coaching staff and a position that he's going to be probably better poised to succeed. But I I, think I sort of default to the – Boy, if you weren't if you weren't able to get on the field much on the D line at Georgia Tech, there weren't many D lines that were sort of gonna, that you were going to be able to play at that level and practice at that level and get on the field. So he's got to get better too. But I think he's in a really good position to do it now. All
1: right, David, I can't let you go without just getting your quick thoughts on Clemson versus Georgia. I mean, this is the heavyweight showdown that everybody is uh, anticipating. Sure. Do you think this game lives up to the hype? And uh, I don't know. I mean, what are some weaknesses potentially that? in Clemson that uh, Georgia do you think can exploit
0: Boy it's I think it's going to be so fun. I'm super excited about it. Um, you know, you talked about the darion Kendrick stuff and that just adds another another wrinkle to it. Um I I I think in my opinion, if you just sort of look at the roster and view it from an optimist point of view, Georgia is as talented as anybody in the country. I mean, if you want to buy, if you want to be a buyer on JT uh, and, and say the way that they ended their year last year, that offense is the offense we're going to see throughout 2021. And, you know, if you like some of the, the additions that they've made, you think they're going to come in, transfer in, and, and play at a high level right away. If you're an optimist about all that, I'm taking Georgia to win the National Championship. Now, I don't know many Georgia fans who are still optimists. They've <laughs> all been beat down <laughs> over the years out of that optimism. <laughs> so the more, more pragmatic approach is probably to say that this is a phenomenal – first test is not going to have to define their season so look Clemson's really good especially on the defensive side of the ball I talked about last year they struggled a little bit on the defensive front this year I mean they might go seven or eight deep on the defensive line of guys who would start at any other school in the ACC I mean I, I started putting together like an early all-ACC preseason team and it would have been very easy and I think defensible to just put four Clemson guys in the defensive line they're going to be that good up front so O-line for Georgia, to me, is a big, big question mark. The back end, though, for Clemson is probably a bigger question mark, too. What, what we saw in the playoffs, really the last two years, particularly against Ohio State, is just a, a linebacker and safety play that did not match up with the talent that was on the field when they played an elite opponent. Uh, you had linebackers who... I think play pretty physical, but really don't have that same level of athleticism. I think Georgia can really test them in the middle of the field, and then hit a few over the top or get that running game going because of it. Um, if if Clemson defensively is trying to sort of strategize around how do we protect this weakness in the middle, something else is going to open up, and that's where I think Georgia can take advantage. <laughs> and then of course the last thing is what are we getting with DJ Uiungalele, and maybe is you know what's Justin Ross look like coming back? Completely new. Uh, run game for Clemson, There's, they've been recruiting at a high level. I don't – the guy stepping in, Ilyanga you know, is, is uber-talented, um, but he's not going to be Trevor Lawrence day one. And, and a lot of those other guys are super talented too, but we don't know what it's going to look like. It's the first time in a long time that we've looked at a Clemson offense and said, I don't know what it's going to be. So, um, to me, that's the real error of mystery right now is, are we going to get elite Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Justin Ross Clemson offense or are we going to get even a, a nick or two behind that because it's not going to take much to say well Georgia has a chance to win this game if they're not if Clemson is not really clicking on all cylinders so I, I think it's going to be a phenomenal matchup it's two teams that are legitimately in the hunt for a national championship and while I don't think that the loser of that game is going to be out of it by any stretch it's certainly going to tell us a lot about who it is that we're looking at as we move forward down the season
1: man and credit to you for uh Being able to say that Clemson's quarterback name, I don't even attempt it. uh, (laughs) A lot of practice, a lot of practice. (laughs) He's going to be
0: one of those guys like Ben Roethlisberger that they just call him by his first name (laughs) for the
1: rest of his career. Exactly, exactly. Last thing, I'll just ask you real quick. Any chance that the ACC pulls an upset in either one of the Atlanta games, week one, we got Miami versus Alabama, and then Louisville versus Ole Miss. Any chance you're giving an ACC team to pull either one of those upsets? Well, look, I love Manny Diaz. I think that he's done
0: a lot to improve that Miami program. I have some severe doubts about how healthy and back to 100% uh, Deer King is going to be in that game. And if he's not, they've got absolutely no chance. I would be shocked if if Alabama loses. The other one's a little more intriguing to me because Louisville is a team I kind of went through on uh, Twitter uh, a week or two ago with my over-under picks, early over-under picks for, for season win totals and who's sort of undervalued and overvalued. Louisville is one of the most unlucky teams in the country last year on a whole bunch of different levels. Um, They've got a lot of pieces in place, and a defense that has consistently made strides over the last few years. I like Louisville a lot. I'm not saying that's like a 10-win team waiting to happen, but that is a team that is much, much, much better than their record looked last year, coached by a really good head coach. I'm not not picking them to win that game, but I would not write that off. I think Louisville's got a real chance.
1: All right. He's David Hale of ESPN. You got to give him a follow at a David Hale joint. What a Twitter handle that is. But uh, David, thank you so, so much for dropping all this knowledge. I really appreciate it. Hey, anytime I can come
0: step away from the ACC and talk some real football in the SEC, I'm happy. to Don't tell anybody else. I said that.
1: All right. So I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed it, uh, man. He really delivered there. Want to th- say thanks once again, to David Hale dropping some knowledge here on some former ACC players and Man, he sounds just as fired up about this uh, Clemson-Georgia game as the rest of us do. And, man, if you caught it there at the end, of course, you got an ACC writer saying, where's the real football played? It's played in the SEC. So, oh, man, I thought that was great. Hopefully that doesn't get back to ESPN. They might have something to say about that. But, uh, (laughs) you know, when they say it's uh, SEC bias, I mean, it's just, it's not even bias. It's just reality. And I know Dave is just kind of joking there, but it is what it is, man. It, I've lived out in Pac-12 country when I was working for Fox Sports and NFL.com. And what do they want to talk about when it comes to college is SEC. Every time they knew that's uh, what I did, they that's what they wanted to talk about. Because even out there, they know where the toughest football is played. They know the championship in college football always runs through the South. That's just the latest sign of it. You know what? All right. Well, guys, uh, that's going to do it for this week's shows. Unless anything big happens and maybe I manage to get Cousin Shane on the line here. But if not, uh, this is probably going to do it for this week. Hope to have another episode out by Monday. I'm actually going on vacation next week, but uh, we're going to try to record a podcast, get it out for next week with uh, a lot of your questions. If you haven't done that already, hit us up on the call-in line, 615-800-LOVE, as Cousin Shane likes to say. And uh, he and I will dive into some of your mailbag questions. we got quite a few built up. We'll read some reviews. So that'll be something to look forward to. And hopefully nothing massive happens next week because I probably won't be around to record a pod but uh, I hope you guys appreciated the you know two interviews this week and hey we even got cousin Shane on the line once. So hey we're still going strong here in the middle of the June. I know it's uh, you know there's not a ton going on in the college football landscape but appreciate each and every one of you hanging on and just hanging out during this uh, slow slow time of the college football calendar because before you know it, the SEC season will be here, and we'll be here to cover it with you guys. So thanks everybody for tuning in. Catch y'all on the next one.